Turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. Luke, chapter 1. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to preach this message, and thank you for this lovely Sunday morning with your people gathered in your house where you promised to meet. We know that you're here because all of your promises are yea and amen. We we just pray that we'll get here today, that we'll meet you and have an encounter with you, that we will sense your presence, and we pray that your spirit will speak to our hearts today through your word. We ask that in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Luke chapter 1, verse 67 breaks in on a story. The entire chapter is a beautiful narrative, but the story I want to focus upon is one that involves a man who has just got his ability to speak back, and he begins by receiving a blessing of God after just being disciplined by God. Anybody in this house know that God chastens those whom he loves? Uh, Has anybody walked with the Lord long enough to understand that God sends times of discipline for us to make us better? And the Bible said, whom he loves. He does it because he loves us, because left to ourselves, We just make a miserable mess of things. But God so loves us that he chastens us. And Zacharias had just been chastened uh, by the Lord because of his unbelief and his doubt. Now, I believe if I had an angel standing talking to me, I don't believe I would have a whole lot of doubt if I could see a celestial being, a creation of God that was sent especially to me to say something to me. Well, I like to think I would believe what he tells me. But Zacharias didn't believe what Gabriel told him. He told him that he was going to have a, a son. That he, he said, no, my wife's old. He said, well, I'm telling you the truth. You're going to have a son. He said, no, you understand. I'm old too. He said, well, you're going to have a son. And he just balked at that. And Gabriel said, therefore, because of your unbelief and your doubt, said you will be uh, unable to speak until the child is born. Wow. Now, We'll talk later a little bit about how far that went because it went farther than just being able to speak. But he has just heard the news and just had his uh, the baby born. John the Baptist has been born. And there seems to be some controversy about what to name him. And all the ladies that were present at the birth of John the Baptist said, Call his name Zacharias. Name him after his daddy. And Zacharias, who was not yet able to talk, they looked at him as if to inquire. And the Bible said, and they made signs to him and signaled to him. And he said, back to them, get me a slate to write on. And they brought him a slate to write on, and he wrote on, his name is John. Just that simple. And by that simple statement, he was reiterating, I have faith. Now to believe that what God says is true. And the Bible said, and immediately he received his ability to speak. Wow. Well, I don't know if he 
not only lost his ability to speak, but he also probably lost his ability to hear. Because the Bible said they had to make signs to, well, now you don't have to, but you, 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 you still hear if you, if you can't speak. But he couldn't hear nor speak because they were signing to him and signaling to him. So evidently he not only was uh, dumb, he was also deaf. Deaf and dumb. Couldn't hear and couldn't speak. Wow. Because they had to signal to him to tell him what they were going to name the child. But brother, when he wrote it down, he got it right. Call his name John. Why call him John? Because that's what the angel said. And if I've learned anything through my discipline, I've learned to believe what the angel said. Isn't it strange that when we come out of a discipline, oftentimes we come out with a different attitude, don't we? And that's what the Lord is after. Well, now he has not only uh, re reiterated that he wanted to name this, this child John, but he begins singing a song. Now, you probably didn't know this. In Luke chapter 1, there are two songs that are, that are sung. The first one is sung by Mary. Do you know what it is? Oh, you're going to learn. The Magnificat. My soul doth rejoice in God my soul. It's actually a quotation from 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1 through 10. And she begins to sing that when the angel tells her that she's great among women and that she's going to be favored and blessed by the highest and, and she's going to give birth to a son. And Matthew said, Matthew 1, 21, call his name Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins. And she said, oh, and my soul, my, I rejoice in God my Savior and my soul doth rejoice. And that was a quotation from Samuel 2, verse 1 through 10. It's called the Magnificat, and it's sung by Mary. Now then, there's another song, and the singer is Zacharias this time. And it's called the Benedictus. The Benedictus. Let's read the Benedictus and see what God has for us this morning. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost. Well, his wife got it before he did. His wife got it when she went to visit Mary. And she walked in the room, and the Bible said, and the Holy Ghost, praise God, the Holy Ghost moved upon her, and she was filled with the Holy Spirit, and the child leapt within her womb. Wow, hallelujah. Well, she already had the Holy Spirit, praise the Lord. And, and now then, the Bible said after he's gone through his discipline and he, the father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and he prophesied. Now, wait a minute. We read just a few minutes ago that he was a priest and he was down at the, down at the temple uh, ministering when the angel appeared to him and told him that news. Yeah, but now the priest has become a prophet. I said the priest has now become a prophet. The priest who goes to God has now gone to people, praise the Lord, telling people a message that God has sent to them. Listen to what God told Zacharias to tell not only these people but also you. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he hath visited and he hath redeemed his people and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And as he spoke with the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies 
and from the hand of all that hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath which he sware to our father Abraham that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Wow, what a beautiful celebration that is of the promise of God to save, deliver, redeem, and help us to walk in paths of righteousness and holiness. Isn't that a good verse? I, I just rejoice in that verse because it's so full. It's, it's pregnant with meaning from the Old Testament. You see, for 400 years, there had been no activity, no prophetic word, no activity at all. For 400 years since Malachi, God had not spoken, God had not moved, no one had communicated with him, and it was a, a vast period of no relationship with God. Times had deteriorated till they were desperate. In fact, the people of God were so oppressed. They were so oppressed. They were under the bondage of the strong, conquering Roman government. And all was tested. They were all under severe pressure and stressed out. Did you know Christmas is a time of being stressed out? It really is. Hey, on a one to ten... Let's just take a poll here. One to ten. Ten being stressed out to the max. One calm as a cucumber. Where do you fit in that one to ten? One. Now, Don, we who know you know we're going to have an altar service in a few minutes. And if you are anything, it's not calm. Anyone else got a number? I see a three anywhere. There's a three back there. You think you're about three being stressed? Well, hey, that's good. Anybody toward the 10 level? Oh, Lord, the hands. Where am I going to get enough money to pay all these people to these presents? How am I going to do this? How am I going to meet that? There, I know we don't have the money to do this this year. And I, I know she's got sick. We have to deal with her sickness. All the Hey, everything in the world is going on in it. I think at Christmas time, all the stress level just goes up for some reason, and people are just so stressed. It really, it really is a time of, of pressure, isn't it? But I want to tell you something. Christmas is a time of peace. Christmas is a time that is supposed to minister to you in your stress. And let me just start in the first of this, this message today to tell you this. The area of your stress will be the area where God will give you peace. The area of your stress is the place where you will find peace, whether it's in relationship. I, I'm told by those folks who study these kind of things that is that stress comes from one of four different places. It comes because of a place. It comes because of a person. It becomes because of a problem. Or it comes because of provision. One of those four things. Hey, I hope that uh, a person is not stressing you out. Boy, I think I struck a nerve. Boy, I felt something just sweep all over this congregation. I heard some spirit say somewhere, if you only knew. Boy, it's difficult when people stress you out, isn't it? 
It's, it's, it's terrible when a place stresses you out. Yeah. We have several places that we, we go to as an ordinary life uh, situation, but sometimes a place can be a place of stress. You know, some folks went to Thanksgiving dinner and it became a place of stress. Some folks went to the Thanksgiving table thinking that it was going to be peace. But sometimes when we get together in a place, we bring with us all the baggage of past experience and all the the baggage of what we carry to an event like that. Sometimes a place can just stress, stress you out. I've actually, and, and the house of God ought to be a place of peace. House of God ought to be the, the favorite place to go for anybody. But there are people that tell me, oh, I just can't go to church anymore. I can't stand to be in a crowd. It stresses me out. But then I meet them down at Walmart. With a buggy full, hollering at somebody, get out of my way. I was in line for you were. And then can't go to church because of stress. I see them out on the highway honking their horn because somebody won't get out of the way and give them a parking place. And you can't go to church because it stresses you out to be around people. Oh, God help us. Sometimes Pace can stress you out. Because, buddy, when we get under that pressure to perform and that pressure to be what somebody else thinks we ought to be and do what somebody else thinks we ought to do and act like somebody else thinks we ought to act and you're under that pressure to perform and that pressure to please, sometimes that pace can just become so hectic and so trying and stressful that you don't have any peace. And sometimes you go through the whole deal of Christmas and you make it to New Year's. And you thought, if I can just get through Christmas. And suddenly you find out that that dude that gave you so much stress in 2019 is waiting at the door to give you stress in 2020. So you go through the whole process of what we call holidays and you were stressed going in, elevated when you're in, and still got the stress when you go out. Well, I got news for you. Today's message is going to help you because peace is not a thing Peace is a person. Peace is a person. Isn't it interesting that, that Zacharias, as soon as he got out of his disciplined uh, program, he was filled with the Holy Spirit? And let me tell you what the first thing, you know, it, it's like this. The first thing that came out of his mouth when the Bible said, and Zacharias received and was filled with the Holy Spirit. His next word was praise. Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be God. Blessed be our heavenly Father. 
Well, what does that tell me? It tells me that Holy Spirit-filled people have praise in their heart. It tells me that the first thing Holy Spirit-filled people want to do is worship and praise God, that out of a tongue that hasn't spoken a word in nine months, the first word out his mouth is, praise the Lord, blessed be God, hallelujah. I want to tell you, the Bible says that praise is comely for the righteous. It's comely, it's good manners for spirit-filled people to praise the Lord. In fact, Jesus said when he has come, he will testify of me. He will take the things that are mine and he will show them unto you. You know what that makes people want to do when you see Jesus and you feel Jesus and you experience Jesus? Who brings Jesus to me? The Holy Spirit brings Jesus to me. Hallelujah. You show me a person that is filled with the Spirit and I'll show you a person that is head over heels in love with Jesus. And a Holy Spirit filled person just has something in them that when Jesus is praised and Jesus is lifted up, there'll be some kind of response even if it's just a smile. Because Jesus is God's expression of victory, joy, hope, and peace to every one of us. And that's what Christmas is about. Isn't it interesting that this whole Christmas story started with a man coming out from under a time of testing and suddenly he receives the Holy Spirit and now he begins to praise the Lord. First words out of his mouth is praise the Lord. He becomes a prophet. And as the Holy Spirit had filled Elizabeth in verse 41, he now fills this new father, Zechariah. His discipline of muteness did not mean the end of his spiritual ministry. God doesn't discipline you to make you quit. Some people respond to God's discipline in a, in a bad way, a negative way. But the Bible tells us that a fool hates correction and a fool despises the chastening rod of the Lord. The Bible said despise not the chastening rod of the Lord. Why? It's for our good. Because if left to our own, we would surely perish and come to catastrophe. So God loves us too much to let us mess up everything. And therefore, he sends times of discipline in our life. And it doesn't mean my ministry is over. It doesn't mean, well, I can't do anything for God. No, that means right the opposite. It means you're better equipped now and you're better experienced now and you're better qualified now than you were before to serve in the kingdom of God since God loved you so much that he corrected you. Is there anybody in this house who has ever felt the chastening rod of the Lord? About maybe a fourth of us. Well, have I got a sermon to whip up for you so you'll know what the chastening rod, because the Bible said if anybody claims to be a Christian but has never experienced the chastening rod of the Lord, that child is an illegitimate child and not a son. So what is that saying, Pastor? 
That's saying that if you're a child of God, at some time or another, he has spanked your bottom. It means if you're a child of God, at some time or another, what you thought was a stroke of bad luck was God actually trying to say to you, straighten up. That time that you thought people was just being mean to you was actually God saying, you need to work on some things here. Those times that you thought, well, I, I, I should have got that raise myself. I should have got that promotion at work myself. And I, I deserve that more than she did. That might be God saying, well, you need to do better. Is this on? You see, sometimes we think that what we're going through is all devilish and hellish and that kind of thing when oftentimes it's the gentle hand of God trying to say to you, you need to adjust your steps. You need to adjust your walk. Wow. Because if no one has ever experienced that, I'll just use the term and don't get offended. He said, he is a bastard and not a son. Is what the Bible says. Wow. What does that mean? It means illegitimate child. Wow. I don't want to be illegitimate. I want to be legitimate. I, I, I don't want to be called a slang word. I want to be called a son. Then I need to ad admit that sometimes... The Lord needs to work on me. That I am not perfect. That I am not arrived. That God still has some areas in my life that need to be corrected. There's something about human nature that doesn't like correction. Well, I quit going over there to that church because all in the world I ever felt when I left there was I needed to do something different. They make me feel bad over there at that church. Well, I'll tell you, if you've never felt bad after hearing a sermon, you might ought to check your birth certificate. Because whom the Lord loves, he corrects and he chastens because the Bible says when we get saved, Cindy quoted it to me the other day. She said, as newborn babes. You know, one of the great fallacies in, in Christian churches, especially those that are of the holiness tradition, we expect people to get up out of the altar just really ready to go to work for God and they, they know all things and, and they can leap tall buildings and faster than a speeding bullet and and most of the time we put them in leadership before we ever get the tears washed out of their eyes for getting saved. And that's as ridiculous as it can be because the Bible calls them babes in Christ. Wouldn't it be silly to walk up to a, a, a child, a baby, a month old, and say, here's some cornbread. Well, I don't know what's wrong with that baby of mine. He won't eat cornbread. How old is he? He's a month, though. Well, you need to test the sanity of the person that would try that. And to expect people to get up out of this altar 
mature and experienced and quoting verses and knowing all things. That's ridiculous. So then God patiently works with people and brings them along and develops them. You didn't get to be who you are today overnight. And unfortunately, you weren't born knowing what you know now. Boy, there's a great sermon right there. If I knew then what I know now. It's kind of like that sermon, if I knew you were coming. Somebody said, I'd have baked you a cake. Somebody said, I'd have stayed at home myself. If I'd have known you were coming. Wow. God loves people enough that he will not leave them. And he loved Israel so much that he would not leave them in that state that they were in. 400 years with no word. 400 years with no visitation. 400 years with no inspiration. 400 years of nothing, just passivity. Well, God looked at that situation, and the first words out of that freshly filled spirit, filled man is praise. And he, he, he gave two words, eulogitos and megalene in verse 46 are both used to translate uh, praise. And it literally says, tell out the greatness of the Lord. Tell out the greatness of the Lord. Wouldn't it be something if everybody in this house would tell out the greatness of the Lord? That, that word megaleaton literally means greatness. And logos means word, tell out. It literally means for us to tell out the greatness of God. That's what praise is. Praise means to tell out the greatness of God. Well, I want to tell you, if God is not great in your life, it's hard to tell it out. There first has to exist an opinion that God is great, that God is good, and that God is magnanimous. And that doesn't mean big, it means kind. Wow, that God is so merciful, and he tells out the greatness of the Lord. And then there's another word he uses for redeemed. He not only is great, but he has redeemed. He has come, he has visited with us, and he has redeemed us. Episkestomai. It literally means visit, to show concern. Sadly, Israel did not realize when God visited. God came to visit, and they ignored him. Now, Brother Ford, if I came over to visit with you and Sister Lorraine, and I walked in and just stood there and said, well, good to see you, Brother Jerry. Offered me no seat. Just stand there and stare at me. And literally says, well, we're going in here to the table to eat. If you'll just stand there, we'll be back in a minute. Come back with a big glass of tea in his hand. Walks in and was glad you came by. And opened the door and stand by it. Uh, you'd eventually get the message, uh, they don't want you here. God came to visit Israel. He hath visited us. 
He hath visited us because he has redeemed us. He has redeemed us by delivering us from our enemies. And he's come now to visit with us and to tabernacle with us and to be one of us. And we said, get out of our house. Israel rejected him. The Bible said he came unto his own and his own received him not. Jesus said, I come in my Father's name and you won't receive me. You won't let me eat with you. You won't, you won't even be charitable to me when I come to your house. You won't wash my feet. You won't anoint my head with oil when I come to visit you in your house. I came to one of your leader's houses and he offered me nothing. Didn't do the common courtesy of washing my feet and a harlot walked in off the street and washed my feet with the tears out of her eyes and dried them with her head. A woman that you call an adulteress, a woman that you call a harlot, a woman that you call a sinner, she received me and ministered to me, but you, O house of Israel, did not receive me. I visited, but sadly, Israel did not receive him. It was Christmas. Jesus came, but no one wanted Christmas. And no one wanted Jesus. You see, in verse 69, the Bible talks about him being a horn. A horn. Boy, that's a powerful word for him to use. Listen to what he, what he says. A horn. We know about a horn of salvation. We know about the horn that is on the altar. We know about the horn of God's bounty and God's plenty. What does he mean when he says that this promise, this Jesus who is going to be born in Bethlehem's manger, that this Jesus will be a horn of salvation? A horn is a common metaphor in Scripture for power. 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 In other words, this one who is to be born is going to be a powerful, powerful gift of God, and he is going to do mighty things. He's going to be a, a Jesus, a Savior of power. This powerful Christ will speak to the wind and waves, and they'll obey him. This powerful Christ will speak to lepers, and they will be cleansed. This powerful Christ will speak to women who have issues of blood and they'll be cleansed. This powerful Christ shall stand at the door, grave door of Lazarus and shall say, Lazarus, come forth, and he will arise and come forth. This powerful Christ will do miraculous things. This powerful Christ will walk on the sea and walk on the water. This powerful Christ... He is a horn of salvation. It tells of his victory because of his power as the horn of our salvation. It means that there is nothing that can defeat him. There is nothing that can stand in his way. There is nothing that can prevent him. There is nothing that can dissuade him. There is nothing that can stop him. Our Christ is a horn of salvation, which means he is the power of God unto salvation. Hallelujah. What a great horn of salvation he is. 
He will make a horn, the Bible said, to grow for David. That covenant promise that he had. Verse 71 starts with salvation. It links this verse to verse 70 to imply that Jesus will be that power of God unto salvation. Save from our enemies. The three steps that he talks about in that verse, 74 and 75, he talks about mercy, he talks about faith, and he talks about love. Love and faith. And he says that opportunity to serve God will be without fear. Without fear. Without fear. Because Jesus has come, he's taken fear out of the picture. Well, pastor, that's, that's not what I've got a lot of times. I've got a lot of fear. Well, you can know Jesus in such a way that even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil. For thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a promise of salvation that is to every one of us, that without fear we will serve the Lord. Verse 78. 79, it talks about the rising sun, that this son of God will be as the rising sun. It has a dynamic quality that fits with the words of the song, come and visit with us. In this verse, there's a quotation from Isaiah chapter 60. It says, arise and shine for thy light is come. Arise and shine for thy light is come and the glory of the Lord is arisen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall rise upon thee and his glory shall be seen upon thee and the Gentiles shall come to thy light and kings will come to the brightness of thy rising. The hope of his rising in our heart carries forth the imagery of a life giving light that offers hope and peace to people who are in darkness outside the remnant of God's people. God's promise of peace. And everyone in this house, you've got a promise from God that peace is yours. Jesus said, my peace I leave with you. The peace that Jesus had. A peace that can stand when Soldiers are coming to arrest you and coming to carry you away. A peace that can sit in a courtroom of Pilate and remain calm while they slapped his face and they pulled and plucked his beard from his face. A peace that when you're hanging upon a cross, you can say it is finished. A peace that is beyond all understanding a peace that is unspeakable, that's full of glory, a peace that will hold you steadfast in the time of peril, in the time of great temptation, that peace of God, that peace that rules in your heart, that peace that, that God gives to those people who are justified. Romans 5 and 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ.
Peace is not a thing. Peace is a person. It's a person. Come on, Connor. Help me quit. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who are sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Verse 14. For he is our peace. He is peace. Are you seeing that up there? Well, why aren't you shouting? He is our peace. Peace is not a thing. Peace is a person. He himself is our peace. How did he become our peace? Because he broke down. He made two groups, one I, us and God who were enemies and estranged, alienated. He made us one and he's destroyed the barrier, the wall that was between us and God. Jesus tore it down. I said the wall that existed between us and God, Jesus tore it down. Having abolished the enmity thereby, he got that dividing wall of hostility torn down. What does Christmas mean, Pastor? It means that I have access. It means that there is a God who is willing to welcome me home. Christmas means there is a God who loved the world that he gave his son. Christmas means that God wants us to have peace and not be stressed out. You see, those things I told you from which stress comes, those things at Christmas time and holiday season just seems to ramp up, just ramp up. In Isaiah 6, the Bible said, but God is going to send you a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, and a prince of... The prince of your peace is not the prince of your preference. I'm going to say that again. The prince of your peace is not the prince of your preference. Because the one thing that's keeping you from having peace is your preference. And your preference is your expectation. I won't have peace until my expectations are met. Let me tell you what peace looks like for me. I'll have peace when she's dead. I'll have peace when he's gone. I'll have peace when this and that and the other. No, you won't. No, you won't. Oh, yes, I will. If I didn't have to put up with what I put up with, I'd have some peace, brother. It'd be something else. Because many are the afflictions, the stresses of the righteous. Many are the pressure points. Boy, I'm preaching a great sermon today. Y'all ain't getting it, but I'm preaching a great sermon. Sleep through it if you want to, but I'm preaching a great sermon. Those pressure points 
Those are the areas where Satan conflicts you and complexes you and frustrates you. And they're not few, they're many. And they're not seasonal. They don't come and go. I don't have control somewhere where I've got control of them. The things that vex my righteous soul, Job said. The things that come to bring you fear and anxiety, perplexity, questions, stresses. Jesus is not the prince of my perfection. He's not the prince of my expectations. He's not the prince of my dilemma and my opinion about how my matter should be handled. Sometimes we walk into God's courtroom and into his presence and we get our list out and it's kind of like we to-do list. God, here's what I want you to do in such and such. And after you've got through with that, I want you to do this and do that and do the other. Nod your little Presbyterian head at me and say amen. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Because whatever will be, will be. Well, I want to tell you this, that God is not absent when those times come. When God abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law commanded, the commandments containing ordinances to make of himself one new man, so making peace. Now, read on down there to that last few verses of that first chapter. I want to make one final point, and then we'll go on to Target or wherever it is we're going. Seventy-six. He starts singing about and thou child. He's talking to his son, John the Baptist now. And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest. For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadows of death, and to guide our feet into the way of peace. Guide our feet into the way of peace. Notice this. That last phrase down there does not say, guide our feet into the path to peace. I'm not on my way to peace because I've already got peace because I'm traveling in a path that is called the path of peace. It's also called a path of faith. It's also called a path of joy. It's also called a path of righteousness. It's called a path of glory. It's called a a path of righteousness. David said, lead me in the path of righteousness for thy name's sake. We're not on a path to peace. We're in a path of peace. (laughs) 
that means that the problem's not going to be solved and the stress is not going to go away when I get my divorce finalized or when I get my college loan paid off or when I'm able to get another car. That, no, you, he, he's not saying you're not on a path to peace. Y'all not getting this. You'd shout if you got it. Because right now, God is saying you're on a path of peace. In other words, it's your peace right here, right in the middle of what you're going through right now. It's not peace that you're going to have some You've got it right now, right in the middle of whatever you're going through. That the stress that you're going through is self-imposed. That God is saying, I will give you peace. I will give you assurance. I will give you confidence. I will give you hope and knowledge that everything's going to be all right. Have I ever let you down? Have I ever failed to come to your rescue? Have I ever failed to come and bless and deliver and set you free? Have I ever, ever, ever failed you? Then you got peace right now. You don't have to expect it sometime in the future. You see, to be on a path to peace, you're always going to be tore up until you get there. Until whatever your expectation is, you're going to be stressed and you're going to be anxious and frustrated until whatever you expect to happen, happens. And then when it happens, you're going to find out Because like I said, that dude that's giving you so much stress right now, and you see, I can't program those things, and I can't control those things. But you know, one thing that that peace gives you is that when people have treated you mean, when people have said all manner of evil against you, which Jesus said would happen, He said, men will revile you and men will speak all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. But he said, do something that peaceful people do. What? Rejoice. Wait a minute, wait a minute, Jesus, Jesus. Holy Jesus, baby, in that little bundle in that little stall and that feeding trough. Jesus, Lord, surely you don't mean that. Did you hear what she said about me? But you're on a path of peace. And Jesus said, rejoice. No, I don't want to rejoice. I want to box her jaws. I want to slap her in the middle of next week. The devil rejoices when you leave the path of peace. He says, be peaceable with all men. The Bible said, follow after peace. Pursue after peace. Everybody in this house ought to testify and say, I'm a peace-loving person. Like I say, we're going to have an altar service right here in a minute. 
peace. Lord, it seems like, it's like the Bible said, Jesus said in the last days, gentlemen would cry, peace, peace. But there is no peace. In fact, Jesus said that there would be a guy that would come in and he's going to ride a white horse just like Jesus. And he's going to say, Jesus was an impostor, but I'm the real thing. And the Bible said he would come in. You know what his policy is? Peace. Peace. You folks are all so tore up, I've got an answer to your tear up. I've got an answer to all your frustration, all your fear. I've got the answer to it. All that anxiety thing that's going on in your life that you can't control, I've got a miracle working super duper whooper whopper pill and I can give you peace. And the Bible said they will swallow that hook, line, and sinker. And the Bible said in the day that they cry peace and safety, then sudden destruction shall come upon them and they shall not escape. So then that tells me there's a false peace. There's a false peace that Satan would like to sell you. It's based on contentment, money, fame, popularity. And many people think they've got peace. But when they come down to the real issue, they realize I don't have the peace, the right kind of peace. This world will try to satisfy that longing in your heart, but only Jesus can satisfy your soul. I said only Jesus can satisfy your soul. The world can offer you a peace that will make your banker smile. The world can offer you a peace that will make your family smile, but only Jesus can satisfy your soul. Only Jesus can make you whole. He'll give you peace you never knew, sweet joy, and heaven too, because only Jesus can satisfy your soul. You may search this wild, wide world or, but you'll be just as before because only Jesus can satisfy your soul. So Christmas for us this season means this. God has a peace. He has a walk, and it's called the path of peace. It's not called the path to peace. It's the path of peace. And what it really means is you can have it now. You can have it now. There's a real danger at our house of wrapping presents too early. I got grandkids with me today, and they snoop. They hunt. They get in closets and find out where you stuck stuff so they wouldn't see it. And don't act like that's just children either. <laughs> so anxious to get that gift. Got to know, got to know. Well, God sent me by here to tell you where the gift is. 
tell you where the gift is. It's not tucked away in a closet somewhere. It's right there with you. It's called the Holy Spirit. And it's called the presence of God. And it's a peace that God can give you. That no matter what news comes to your door, there's a peace that you have in knowing in whom you have believed. And that he's able. I said he's able. I said he is able. And that gives you peace. That gives you peace. Not, not some expected something. Not some, some date that I've set when I'm going to have peace. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Because that might happen and it might not. Probably won't. But if I've got peace right now before I get to that point, then I'm on the path of peace, not a path to peace. I got it now. Touch somebody and say, I got it now. So I don't have to wait till Christmas morning to open it up. And I don't have to be surprised by it being something I don't need. Oh, you will too. Don't be an old pessimist like that. Somebody will get you a present. I'll get you one. She said she didn't have nobody give her one. I'll give you one. I gave you one this morning. It's called peace. Peace, the peace of God. Stand with me. Hallelujah. Well, we've started on a Christmas series. It kind of sounds different than wise men and shepherds and all of that, doesn't it? Well, thank you, God, for that drop-in. What did those shepherds when they were in those fields, we'll talk about them later. But when those angels appeared, and Anne, the Bible said, they had an announcement. That angel said, behold, I bring you good tidings of great. What kind of joy? What was that word I told you meant? Great, 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 great joy. That shall be to all people, not just people who are saved, not just Israelites, but all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And suddenly there were with him a host, a mighty host, and they were all saying, Glory to God in the highest and on the earth, peace and goodwill to men. I'll leave you with that. Raise your hand. God, in Jesus' name, we come to you right now. Help us to know, O oh Lord, that the message of Christmas is a message of peace. Help us to go through this holiday season, God, with full awareness that God's peace is with us now, that we're on a path of peace right now. May all of my conversation. May all of my activity, may all of my conversations and meeting with people during this holiday season be a message of peace, a message of peace. Peace in my family, peace on my job, peace in my heart, peace in my church, peace on earth. God, I pray, O oh Lord, that the Christmas season will bring us a period of peace through Jesus our Lord. 
Amen and amen. God bless you and God go with you is our prayer. You have a great week and you be careful.